You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. So, Bob was talking a little bit about the history and being grateful. And, I mean, Carol and I are ones that are grateful for you all <laughs> so much. I mean, you've all stood with us. You've, you've prayed, you've given, uh, you've sacrificed so that we can be where we're at. And so we come to you with grateful hearts, appreciation, because we know that we are just part of this body. And missions is a local church thing. It's not an individual thing. It's not a parachurch thing. Missions is the local church. And Satan is far more afraid of a local church on fire for missions than he is of a missionary or a mission organization. So I pray, and we pray often for LifeGate. We pray for you that your heart would remain strong and true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we see is happening and is happening. We pray that you would continue to be a witness in this community, which is, is happening. Praise God. We pray that the gospel be faithfully preached here, and it is happening. And so we come with grateful hearts back to be with you and joyful that we have the privilege and honor to say that our home church, our home sending church, is LifeGate. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I have to, before I start, also say thank you on behalf of our Ugandan and Sudanese brothers and sisters, as I mentioned in Sunday school, and I think I try to do it whenever I'm back with you, is they always say to us, please give our greetings and our appreciation to our brothers and sisters back in America, especially those at LifeGate who have sent you off. And so they are praying for you as well. We talk about the challenges there, which are many, um, but the challenges here are great, right? Gosh, they're, they're great here, and so we have a, you have a church, a body of believers praying for you and for the church in America at large as well, and as you keep praying for us, um, we appreciate that, and as I think about it in my own language, that when it comes to prayer, speaking of Leonard Ravenhill, Bob, that brings back such memories, that's where I first learned really the heart of prayer, um, that, that prayer is like the jet fuel of missions. Intercessory prayer is like the jet fuel of missions. So that is the most important thing. Missions does not happen locally or overseas unless it's, unless it's just empowered by the Spirit of God through God's people praying. So please, please keep praying. Um, thank you to my sweet wife, I could not be there without her standing beside me and her talents and her gifts. Um, we had a wonderful time. We've been here for four weeks now. We had a wonderful time of being with family all together. That was precious. Carol did the video with the sermon text in mind, so you can kind of see where we're headed this morning as well in Hebrews chapter 11. So. Um, without much more to say, I think I need to get right to that because that's the business at hand, right? So let's open our Bibles to chapter, uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. 
verses 13 through 16. And I'm thankful for the technology here, so we have it here. But I hope that you have your Bibles open, too, because we're going to be looking at some other passages as well. And I first want to pray and ask God to give us ears to hear and eyes to see and for his spirit to enable me to preach faithfully his word. Lord, we do come to you in the name of Jesus. Um, We come to you seeking that you would grant a spirit of wisdom and revelation to us each, Lord. We pray that as your word is proclaimed this morning, that you would honor it by opening our ears to the truths of your scripture, Lord. Help us to be hearers and doers. Help us to be sensitive to the conviction of your spirit. I pray, Lord God, that anything that is not from you, from your spirit or from the word, that you would blow it away like the dust in the wind. I pray that you would grant me um, your spirit to speak your word boldly, confidently, and clearly. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So the scripture is Hebrews chapter 11, um, verses 13 through 16, but we're going to be, after we read the text, we're going to be doing some context-type issues and study God's word together. And my prayer is that you will go uh, forth from this building empowered and strengthened and encouraged to be Jesus' witness. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been seeking, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, I love this therefore, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for him. May God bless his word as it's spoken this morning. The important thing that we need to do in the beginning is look at context. Amen, Josh? (laughs) We have to look at context because we can't understand anything really, whether it's studying the Word of God or conversations or books. We have to get the context. And so the context of the book of Hebrews is a series of exhortations to the original audience not to fall into unbelief in the face of intense persecution. That's the the overall context of the book. And so to set the stage for our passage that we're studying this morning, I want us to look at one of those exhortations that is closely linked to Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. So I hope you have your Bibles open. We don't have this for up above, but I want us to look at chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, which is just right before our text in chapter 11. So Hebrews 10, 32 through 39, and I think I'm going to try to point out some things how this is connected to chapter 11, 13 through 16. Uh, Starting in verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened or saved, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, 
and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those who were in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. I mean, stop for a minute there. How was that possible for them to do that? It points us to 11, chapter 11, verse 16. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. And what is that reward? 11:16. God is not ashamed to call them his own. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 11:16 again. For yet in a little while, and coming one, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And we're going to talk more about that in 1116 because it says they died in faith. Here it says they shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so we're not ones that shrink back, but are those that have faith and preserve their souls, jumping us right into chapter 11. And so, church, are you hearing the exhortation here? It's an exhortation to faith and to trust in God. And I suspect as, we, as I look out here, there's, it's true that we all are struggling over something perhaps even struggling with doubt and unbelief. We need to take, we, all of us need to take God's word this morning and ask him to embed it deep within our hearts. So this pushes us to chapter 11, pushes us to chapter 11. And so that's the context of the whole book. And then chapter 11, verse 1 gives us even a more immediate context. It lays the ground and the work of understanding our text even more. So 11, chapter 11, verses 1. And so when we look at chapter 11, verse 1, I, I for one, I don't know about you all, always thought of this as the definition of faith. What is faith? 11.1. What is faith? 11.1. But as I was studying this and looking at it, um, we're seeing that in reality, 11.1 explains the nature of faith. It's a description of what faith does and how it works. So it's explaining the nature of faith and how it works and what it does. That's what faith is all about. I'm kind of a farm boy on the ground. I said, this is, you know, I like definitions, but I like it when I have something presented to me that helps me in this way. And so why is this faith important? What's in our context, 11.6? It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Amen? So if we want to please God, it's impossible to please him if we do not have faith. So we need to have a correct understanding of what this faith is like. I really like the way the Amplified Version fleshes this out. And I think we have that up here. And so I want to read that together and just look at the Amplified Version. We have the ESV with us here. Uh, now, faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of the things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, 
the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. I really like that. It helped flesh it out a little bit more for me, and I hope it fleshes it out a little bit more for y'all. Commentator Richard Lenski says, faith is an irrefutable conviction, not a belief, it's a conviction which rests on something or someone outside of us which inspires trust. Otherwise, I have no faith. So it's, it's trust in something that's outside of ourselves. Let's think about that for a minute um, and think through it. We all, whether a person is a believer or an unbeliever, operates, according to this definition, in faith in our daily routines. For instance, how many of you drank water this morning, had some breakfast, and you just trusted that someone outside, the water wasn't going to be bad, the food was okay, you took it, you drank it, We've learned where we are at. Can't do that. <laughs> you know, I have to check where the water is coming from. Is it coming from a stream or is it coming from, you know, but right here, pretty much I don't, I would guess most people don't think about when they're taking a drink of water. So it's something outside the, the government systems taking care of it or whatever. Springs Hill water is taking care of that part of it. Um, think about when you get on an elevator. It's still scary to me. Only time I really look at those numbers is when I'm sitting there waiting by myself. Says capacity, da 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 da. You know, I'm going, mmm. Then I'm going up. I have Ugandan friends that refuse to get on an elevator with me. Jacob, I'm going to take the steps. That thing's too scary. Or get on a plane. Ah. So we all are, whether believer or unbeliever, we're operating in some type of form of faith. Uh, even that there's a place called Moyo. How many of you have been there? I don't think anyone. Is there really a place called Moyo? Uganda? We can say, yes, there is. Now, the world often thinks that Christian faith is what? An illogical belief in something that is impossible, like the resurrection. That's, oh, you, that's you're just believing you know, in something that's impossible. Now, the difference between the faith that I'm mentioning here of the world and Hebrews 11 is that, I want you to really hear this, true Christian faith is produced by God and rests on his word. True Christian faith is produced by God and rests on his word. So I like that in the Amplified Version where it says, faith is the title deed. You got a deed and you get it. Um, it's, the CSB translates, faith says, is a reality. New American Standard, faith is a certainty, even though it's not seen. So we're not seeing it. So truth, true faith is not a vague, wishful thinking, a leap into the darkness type thing. It's a certainty that God will deliver. Biblical faith is a certainty that God will deliver on his promises. And that's what we see in this passage that we're studying here. So biblical faith is an assurance. It's a title deed. It's a reality. It's a certainty of what? I was just questioning. So what is it a certainty of? Things hoped for. Things hoped for. So faith and hope are just, I, I, 
They're tied together. I like construction terms better. Faith and hope are like being welded together. Those of you that know welding, when you weld something together, it's tied together and it cannot be broken. So faith and hope are always working together like that. Um, hope that is seen is not hope. Ah, <laughs> that's what the Bible says. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, for in this hope we were saved, not hope that is seen. Now hope that, oh, excuse me. Now hope that is not, that is seen is not hope. I messed that up there. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. And then in verse 23b, it says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I can't help but think of Barbara right now. I've known her since, I think, way in the early 80s when this church was started. That was always her hope. And now she's there rejoicing. She's in a better country, a better place. Um, so 11.16 says, but as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. So these contextual things lead us now up to chapter 11. And so in 11 verses 13 through 16 and the following verses 17 through 40, we see personal examples of the nature of faith. It's a description in chapter 11 of what faith does and how it works. 11.39 says, all these men and women of chapter 11 were commended through their faith. They did not receive what was promised while they were alive. How were these men able to do that? How were they, were they able to do the great exploits that we see mentioned throughout chapter 11? How were they able to endure challenges? How were they to keep plodding on day after day after day, even in the midst of persecution? Because they believed what God had said, even though they did not physically see it with their eyes. We said, God said it, that's enough. It's not God said it, I believe it. It's, it's God said it, it is enough. And so I long for that conviction to just be embedded in my heart day by day by day. I want to be a person that's, that sees what God says, hears it, and then believes it. No matter what the circumstances. I have a little poster that I like to, to um, display sometimes on Facebook and other places. It's a picture of the early Christians in the Colosseum they're praying, and the lions are about ready to go out. And, it said, and then the little caption underneath it says, God loves you and has a wonderful life plan for you. <laughs> and there they're praying. Yes, God loves us. We don't determine that by what we see, but what we know in God's word. Uh, so this chapter of heroes is not about their ability or even the lack of it or their character. Um, the author's purpose in chapter 11 is to give us examples of what faith looks like. Those who put their trust and faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Scottish preacher George Morrison, who lived over 100 years ago, wisely said, the important thing is not what we live for, but what we look for. The important thing is not what we live for, but what we look for. 
So now we're ready to really dig into the text a little bit more. Um, verse 16, if we look at verse 16, it says, all died in faith, the exception being Enoch, which is a, a, a special case there. But all these men talking about who died, they died in faith. Um, they died in faith. So to die in faith, I mean, this is, kind of, I guess, common sense, but I had to think through this a little bit. To die in faith one must be living in faith, right? I mean, how can you die in faith if you're not living in faith? And that brings us back to 1038, the context there. My righteous one shall live by faith. When we live by faith, we can die in faith. So faith is a present and living reality. It's a biblical faith, is a, is a living faith. And how has that happened? Again, I said, well, how does that happen? Um, Colossians ESV chapter 3, verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. See the focus here that we need to be bringing ourselves back to? The King James, I like the way it says it and translates, set your affections on things above. Amplified version says, set your mind and keep focused habitually on things that are above. So this is a faith that is daily setting our eyes and our hearts on heavenly things, looking for that better country. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Um, the men and women of chapter 11 had their focus on God and his promises. John Kelvin says something that really convicted me when I was looking at his uh, commentary on this. He said, those heroes of chapter 11 greeted, embraced, received, and welcomed these promises from afar. And so John Kelvin says, if we Christians grow faint, we are doubly inexcusable. The patriarchs saw from a distance, we Christians have tasted in Christ in ways they did not. And, and so... That's a strong exhortation, isn't it? The patriarchs continued, and we even see more of that. We're tasting more of it. I was telling Ken that we're looking forward to having his ribs, um, and we're going to be going to the marriage supper of the lamb, and those ribs are so good, but even they are just a taste of what we're going to have in the future. Amen? And so we're called to seek to be living in a living faith so that we can die in faith and welcome the promises of God from afar so that when we see Jesus face to face, which we all will do at one point, we want him to say, well done, good and faithful one. Or as in our passage, I am not ashamed to be called your God. I am not ashamed to be called your God. That God saying that to us. So these men and women in our passage acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Exiles, strangers, aliens, refugees, pilgrims, temporary residents of this earth. They acknowledged that. And the question I had to ask myself and I ask you is, is that how you see yourself? Is that how you're living? Now, it's one thing to say, yeah, I see myself that way, but... Where your treasure is, there is your heart. It's the way we live which really defines if we understand that. Um, 
Carol put up there a quote by Amy Carmichael right after the text there. Amy Carmichael said, we profess, we as Christians generally, profess to be strangers and pilgrims, yet we settle down in an, listen to this, in an unstranger-like fashion, exactly as if we were quite at home and meant to stay here as long as we could. God's call is to be like these patriarchs who considered themselves strangers and exiles here on this earth. First um, Peter 2.1 says it like this in the contemporary English version. Dear friends, you are, not if, you are foreigners and strangers on the earth, so I beg you not to surrender to those desires. Carol, Carol and I, we live on the Uganda-South Sudan border for now 10 years, and this has been made true to us even more in reality, in the flesh now. Um, Carol has a good way, and I'm going to quote Carol here, has a good way to relate it. She said it like this when we were talking about this passage. Our norm has been scrambled <laughs> like eggs. Our norm, when we went there, our, and it still is, after even living there for 10 years, our norm is being scrambled sometimes almost every day, by our cultural transplantation. Its effect has been to make us somewhat like cultural vagabonds. I think most, but if you don't, vagabond simply means a person who wanders from place to place without a fixed home. So that we do not feel completely at home either in America or Uganda. It's, it's kind of done that work in us, living in a different culture in a different context. Um, furthermore, we were right there in the midst of when the, the Civil War broke out in, in South Sudan, and the refugees came across our right, literally right in front of us. We heard the gunfire, the shots, the bombs, and so forth, and here they are running this way, and they are living in Uganda as refugees. It's not their home. Many of the leaders that we are training are from South Sudan and the Republic of Sudan that have fled. Some of them are refugees twice removed. Our brothers from the Sudan had to flee Sudan under persecution to South Sudan, and then the war broke out there, and they had to come to Uganda. So they understand this, and just rubbing shoulders uh, has given me a new appreciation of what it really means to be an exile and a refugee because they're living there as outsiders. Furthermore, our local people that we're in the midst of, uh, when Idi Amin was chased out, that's the area we're in, they had to flee where we are in Uganda and go into Sudan to get away from the payback. And so they tell me stories and, and then they had to come back. And so, you know, this idea of a stranger and a pilgrim should be something that God should be working into our hearts and understanding more and more, because that's who we are. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're transient on this earth. We are living here just for a short time, and then we're looking for a better country. When we're an outsider, we're treated differently. Think of the patriarchs. What did they have to do? They had to buy land to be buried in. And they had chances, as the scripture said, to go back, but they didn't. I mean, Abraham even sent a servant to get a wife for Jacob. Jacob went there for a while, and then he came back, back to um, the promised land. And so, you know, when you're an outsider, you're taking advantage of So we shouldn't be expected to be thought differently in America with all the challenges you're going through, to stand true to God's word. 
you're going to be alienated because this is not your home. It's not your home. Um, and so we need to be exhorted day by day, I think, that we are pilgrims. And holding to this conviction really releases us from the bondages of this world and sets us free to lay up treasures in heaven. Because after all, when we get to heaven, it's those treasures that are laid up there that we want to be waiting for us. Um, the Apostle Paul never thought of this life as uh, meant just for happiness, health, wealth in this present age. He didn't think that way. Basil, a church father in AD 300s, who's one that stood against the Arian controversy, he said Jesus is God. The Arians were saying it wasn't. And because of that, he was sent into exile. Listen to what, to a, to a very desolate, remote place. And this is what Basil said when he was being sent into exile. He said, I know no banishment. I know no banishment. I do not count this place mine, nor say that the other place is not mine. Rather, all is God's, whose stranger and pilgrim I am. Oh, that we could all say that with all of our hearts. And so the point being is that our citizenship is in heaven. How many promises did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob receive? Very few. How many are we going to see ourselves? Very few. I love this, this quote from Adoniram Judson, who was a missionary. If we could have that one up there, I want to read that together with you. And it's, I have it posted all over the campus of RIU. I have it right next to my desk. He said... He said, there is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it is because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it is because someone will succeed after you. And so I look at this, and I often have to encourage myself or rebuke myself, because if I feel like, oh, man, I'm being quite successful here, then this helps me to see, hey, I'm being successful because someone before me sacrificed, right? And then there's times when I get discouraged and I say, my Lord, it's just, it's just it's hard. <laughs> you know, is it really worth it? Then I, the truth that someone following me will succeed. And so as we walk out our faith here on the earth, I think we need to remember this always. We're standing on others. I look out here and I'm standing on the shoulders of many here at LifeGate. Now, I can keep, go back all the way to my, um, my parents, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles living in a farming community, the construction things. That, I mean, I'm st all those things, I'm standing on other people's so shoulders. Um, and so we are exiles and pilgrims, and we need to remember that and be encouraging one another that we are exiles and pilgrims. So let's finish up now with verse 16. Um, it says that they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And it's just not enough to renounce the world. We're called to do that. The scripture says that very clearly. But did you notice the word desire in the text? They desired for, they longed for, and they declared it unashamedly. What were they desiring for? A better country. And as we look at, at the book of Hebrews, do you know that that word better is used 13 times? 13 times better. 
Jesus is better than the angels. We are confident of things better concerning you. The lesser is blessed by the better. There's a better hope. There's a better covenant that's used twice. There are better promises. There are better sacrifices than these. There's better and enduring possessions for yourselves in heaven. We saw that in chapter 10, verse 34. A better country, our text here. A better resurrection and a lasting God having provided something better for us. Better, better, better. <laughs> you hear God's promise to you, church? We have something better. We have something better if we indeed are putting our trust in Jesus alone for salvation. If there's anyone here that's not a savior, does not have Jesus as their savior, I'd encourage you, that better is not for you. It's not gonna be waiting for you, but Jesus has come to redeem you and reconcile you and bring you into relationship with God. And I would encourage you to confess him as Lord and savior. There are people here, the pastors here will meet with you and talk with you. We have a, there's a better place for us. Uh, this life is transitory. Now, I've often been told, I mentioned this to Josh before, he says, well, you're just so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. How many of you have heard that? Most people are just so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Yeah, you just need to get your feet more on the ground, you know, Jacob, you're just you're too heavenly-minded. And... I was so encouraged that I wish I would have had this quote by C.S. Lewis then, but it speaks the truth that I think we all need to hear. C.S. Lewis uh, dispels this idea very well. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become so ineffective in this. Then he says, this is the line that just grabs me. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You will get neither. So, you know, don't, you say, Jacob, you're just talking about heaven, heaven. Yeah. You know, maybe it's a sign of my age, but it shouldn't be just an age thing that we're thinking about heaven, young people, um, because we're all going to be headed there. Um, and so this exhortation, what am I aiming at? What are you aiming at? I know we have a lot of hunters here. I didn't look at it. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, I mean, when you go hunting, you have to do what? If you're going to shoot some pigs, Ken, do you just go... Good luck. You're not going to get very many. We have, you have to aim. And so we aim at heaven. We aim for this better country. That doesn't make us ineffective in this one. It's so true. Because when we preach the gospel, we're preaching, as John Piper says, we care about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. So when we're caring about Jesus Christ, we're going to be looking around and we're going to be seeking to help in those other needy areas, whether it be medical or education or water, uh, whatever the needs are here, food, food, clothing. You know, those things are, are a part of the Christian walk. And if you look at history, 
the ones who've been most effective, medicine, are who? Christians, right? Dr. Dwyer, they're Christians that have started these places because of their love for Jesus. Um, and so let us be ones who aim at heaven. So in closing, um, the fruit of that causes us to be evangelistic and to be mission-minded. That's the, the so what. I want you to hear that. You know, you're, we're aiming at heaven, and our goal is to bring people into that kingdom, into that relationship. Evangelism is the daily witnessing of our faith. It's a responsibility of each and every one of us. We're called to be the means that God uses. God is the one who sovereignly saves people, but he uses the preaching of the gospel, Romans 1.16. We can read 2 Corinthians 5.11 through 6.1, but we do not have time to do that. And I would encourage you, being friendly is always important. But a person should not have to be a friend before we share the gospel with them. Our call is to be, proclaim the gospel rightly, passionately, and respectfully. When I'm ministering to Muslims, I greet them, assalamu alaikum, and I'm friendly with a smile with them, but at the same time, I'm presenting the gospel to them. Jesus is better than what you believe. There's a better country. There's a better place. All the while I'm smiling, hugging them, and speaking to them. Missions, as you know, is crossing chasms of geography, culture, language. Um, mission exists, as John Piper says, because worship does not. That's why we've made our move there. That's why you've sent us there, so that more people can be introduced to the gospel. More people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and God brings them in. Uh, people have to hear the gospel. They have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way they can be saved. That's the only way they can be saved, is by hearing the gospel, believing and putting their trust in Jesus Christ alone, having faith in him alone. Um, and so that is our heart cry, whether it's local or whether it's in Uganda, whether it's in Sudan or Pakistan or India, that is what we must be about doing. I praise God for the songs that we sang and the, the, the psalm that we read together. Um, God is a God of the nations. I want to leave you with one last thing on the up here. I think you know the person there, but this is something that God just has put in my heart, and I just, you know... And this, I think, is a little bit of like Leonard Ravenhill, Bob, coming through me when I say this right here. Um, I'm sure that none of us will say when in heaven that we prayed too much. You think? Oh, I just prayed too much. No. We sacrificed too much. We're not going to be saying that either. We proclaim the gospel too much. We're not going to be saying that, and we're too passionate to get the gospel to those who have little to no access, access to this gospel of grace. Let us together press on to make it our ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that, so that we can bring more people into that better country from Seguin, Texas, from America, from Uganda, from Sudan. Let us be ones um, that need 
that have the heartbeat of preaching the gospel and then discipling them and bringing them into a local church like, like, like LifeGate. And so please continue to pray for us. Thank you um, for your support and prayers. Uh, we are confident as we go forward that, that the Lord is with us and we're confident that you are with us. And so we can go forth with, with joy in our hearts, even in those difficult times. God bless you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the exhortations that you give us through your word, by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word in Hebrews chapter 11, the exhortations there. Lord, I pray that each of us would be ones that would live in faith so that when it's our time to go, that we're dying in faith. But I pray for my brothers and sisters as well as myself. Help us to always remember that we are exiles, that we are aliens, that we are strangers here on this earth. Help us to be ones that focus our attention on Jesus, who is so much better. Help us to see that heaven is so much better because Jesus is there and we will be with him. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for my dear brothers and sisters here this morning. May you guard them and watch over them and use them, Lord God, to extend your kingdom no matter how young they are, how old they are, Lord, that you would use them. Plant in their hearts a deep desire to see the gospel go out to all the nations, that you would be worshipped by all peoples and tongues and tribes and nations for your glory and honor throughout all eternity. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.